Hi, and welcome to the GBI Conversations podcast. My name is Katie Shevin, and I am the host of this first series. The Global Business Initiative on Human Rights is a business-led cross-industry organisation that works to advance business respect for human rights around the world through practical peer learning and by sharing insights from business practice. GBI's team and network of advisors bring deep experience and immersion in business and human rights developments, unique insights into emerging business practices and approaches, and a commitment to working towards meaningful outcomes for affected people. I'm an advisor to GBI focusing on legal developments and responsible transitions. In this podcast series, I'm talking to a number of GBI's advisors and team members about mandatory human rights due diligence requirements. In this series, we'll be exploring questions that aim to support business practitioners to think critically about their company's approach to human rights and to position their company to navigate these new measures in ways that also meet the expectations of their stakeholders. For example, how can you know if your company's human rights due diligence is really good enough? What do you need to know about downstream due diligence? And how are mandatory due diligence laws affecting expectations of companies when it comes to remedying human rights impacts? Today I'm speaking to Ben Hogan. Ben's a director of the Global Business Initiative on Human Rights, and he leads its peer learning program, supporting GBI member companies to work together to accelerate their human rights work. Ben, how are you today? I'm great, Katie. Lovely to be here. It's wonderful that you're able to join us. Today we're going to talk about downstream human rights due diligence. So I'd like to start by asking you to say a few more words about your professional background and to tell our listeners a bit about the recent work you've been doing on downstream due diligence. I'd be happy to. Um, As you mentioned, Katie, I lead GBI's member peer learning program. And through that work, I'm in close dialogue with our member representatives understanding their successes and their their challenges in implementing the corporate responsibility to respect human rights in in practice. As part of that work, I've been facilitating a working group on downstream human rights due diligence over the past couple of years now. And we've really focused in on how companies can understand and address risks to people downstream that arise from their products, from their services, um, but also from their business relationships with a particular focus on customers and, and end users. That work culminated in a roundtable which brought together GBI members and expert advisors to discuss downstream human rights due diligence last November. And we recently published a report on that project which is available on our website. Thank you, Ben. It's been fascinating watching that work unfold and I was so pleased to see the the wonderfully positive response to the report that we've released. Now, authoritative global standards like the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights or UNGPs explicitly expect businesses to identify and address human rights risks and impacts across their full value chain, including downstream business relationships. Whether downstream due diligence will also be incorporated into hard regulatory requirements, uh, for example, through the European Union's proposed Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive, is a very live question. What other reasons are there for a company to implement downstream human rights due diligence? I guess it it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyhow, that wherever a business operates or or has relationships or its products or services are used, it can impact on people um, and on society more broadly. 
And considering downstream contexts is really imperative to addressing the spirit and the letter of those international standards. The second thing I highlight is that companies are being found responsible for downstream human rights impacts, both through the courts and at OECD national contact points for responsible business conduct. And our report points to a large number of examples, but one of which seems to resonate with a lot of people is the recent experience in the United States in connection with the opioid epidemic. There, in addition to seeking to hold drug manufacturers liable for the impacts of the epidemic, settlements have also been reached with pharmacy chains that knew or ought to have known that there was a risk to health and life in the communities where that epidemic had its most devastating toll. And also uh, with management consultancy firms that have been commissioned to boost the sales of a product known to be both addictive and harmful. So downstream due diligence really is an issue for all actors across the value chain. In that example, not just the drug manufacturer, but also the, the pharmacy and the management consultant. And it's not solely an issue for consumer products either. Um, we mentioned other cases before OECD national contact points which include the sale of construction machinery used in furtherance of illegal occupation, or the financing of companies and products with adverse human rights impacts. So really, I think the scope is, is, is quite broad. Thank you, Ben. It's fascinating to hear some of those recent developments. As you know, I've done a lot of work with law firms who are trying to implement the UNGPs in, in their own operations and thinking about uh, involvement in human rights issues through client work has, has been a real focus there. So let's turn and, and talk a little bit about emerging business practices. You've recently, as, as we've mentioned, published a report on downstream human rights due diligence. How are companies approaching this work and what does it look like in practice? Yeah, it's a good question, Katie. And I think in some senses it's, it's quite industry specific, but there are nevertheless general trends and the approaches that companies are taking and, and can take here. Responsible companies are, are seeking to understand risks that may arise from the irresponsible or unintended use of their products, um, typically categorised as responsible product usage, um, and also the misuse of those products or services by, by customers or end users. Companies may often have a sense or, or an understanding of how their products could be deliberately misused, and they'll be familiar with this, for example, um, if their products fall under dual-use regulations that limit the export of products and services that have both civilian and military applications. But I think it, it was clear to us that it can be harder to understand those irresponsible or unintended use cases. You may be able to imagine some scenarios, but not others. And companies are therefore working to ensure that they have adequate feedback loops to enable their understanding of those use cases with a view to preventing them in the future. And that really relies on engaging with sales colleagues, colleagues involved in service and support, um, that can feedback that information on, 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 on how products are being used um, so that that can be sort of factored into um, the, the, the sales process. And indeed, the research and development process, I, I think I should also mention in terms of the design of products moving forward. There are also risks that may arise from, from business models. So for example, aggressive marketing or strict sales growth targets for a product that is known to be addictive or can otherwise impact on human rights may be something that a company needs to reckon with depending on its industry. And many of the companies we spoke to as part of this work are also working to identify end user, customer and other downstream business partner risks. And 
Typically, that involves leveraging existing processes, such as the Know Your Customer checks that many companies have in place for anti-bribery and corruption purposes, really to seek to augment those processes to include questions related to the counterpart's human rights record and their intended use of the product in question to give you a platform from which to, uh, to, to, to understand those risks more holistically. And I think one of the most interesting examples uh, there is the inclusion of, of certain flags in customer relationship management or, or CRM sales software that place a hold on a transaction pending a decision from a subject matter expert or a sensitive sales committee, um, which is really one way I think that, that you can sort of, I guess, start to get to grips with these sorts of transactions and, and, and find ways to ensure that appropriate controls are in place um, where those sales may present a, a heightened risk. So those are some examples, if, if you will, on the identification of risk side. Um, and then, of course, you know, companies are also seeking ways to prevent downstream risks from materialising and to, to mitigate and remediate them when they do arise. Thanks, Ben. Uh, listening to you talk about the, the findings that have come out of that work with the working group, it, it strikes me that actually when it comes to identifying risks, the process is not that dissimilar to looking upstream, engaging with colleagues to really understand what it is they're doing and to try and assess where risks may be, and then looking at the systems in, in place to pick those up on a more regular, systematic, ongoing basis and explore what the company can do to, to try to address the situation. I remember when we first started talking to business practitioners about downstream due diligence, one of the most common concerns we'd hear was that actually when it comes to addressing issues that have been identified, it's just too difficult to do it effectively because of the, the lack of leverage downstream. Clearly, the work you've led over the past couple of years challenges that assumption. Could you say a few words about what we're learning about the use of leverage in downstream business relationships? Yeah, um, I think when, when we think about leverage, too often perhaps there's a, there's a tendency to default to thinking only about commercial leverage, you know, what contractual clauses you can insert and, and, and so forth. And it's all well and good to insist on a contractual clause, but actually what we heard from these conversations was that companies are having better results where they use those negotiations as a platform for, for mutual dialogue and, and understanding. We're, we're learning, and I think this is particularly true um, in relationships with, with customers, so in those downstream relationships, that leverage is, is not black and white. Uh, and there is a degree of nuance in terms of when and where it may be possible to exercise it. One business practitioner referred to it as a quiet diplomacy, you know, drawing an analogy there to international relations and how countries sometimes use constructive engagement to achieve their end goals. So, for example, uh, one company shared how they had had success with a customer seeking to grow their market share in the European Union. Uh, the customer was aware of the emerging legal landscape in Europe as it relates to mandatory human rights due diligence, and as a result was keen to engage with the company to build um, its capacity to understand and address human rights risks. And that was really a, a mutually beneficial um, occurrence. Not only did it mean that the company could continue to do business with its customer, but it also set the customer off on its own path to implementing the responsibility to respect human rights, um, allowing it to uh, address latent risks to people um, and grow its market share in turn. We also heard examples of companies working with their peers to address risks that are systemic across the value chains of a given industry and leveraging multi-stakeholder approaches there as well. 
Um, but I think one of the, the key sort of learnings we had from this uh, was that when we, when we speak about value chains, um, there's a, a natural tendency to, to think of, of, of the value chain as a, as a linear thing. You know, raw materials lead to production, lead to sales to the customer and, and so forth. The reality, of course, in, in many industries is that customers may also be significant suppliers. Uh, these relationships may be symbiotic, overlapping and, and mutually reinforcing. And getting to grips with that complexity and understanding that value chain is oftentimes not that linear value chain. It's, it's oftentimes a, a complex web and um, can really allow for more creative approaches to emerge that sort of blend that those those relationships together and, and, and use them, play them off each other to, to, to build leverage. Thank you, Ben. I was really struck by that example you shared where the customer was looking to expand its market share in, in Europe and actually really welcomed the engagement from its supplier. And I think that really challenges the assumption that is often made that talking about human rights with customers might weaken or put at risk those business relationships. But actually with the, the changing landscape, there can be real mutual value that can lead not only to better human rights outcomes, but actually a, a stronger business relationship. Another assumption I often hear is that downstream due diligence is mainly relevant to businesses in a small number of industries, such as tech, finance, um, professional advisory services. Is this an area of practice that companies in other industries need to pay attention to? I think it absolutely is, Katie. Um, International standards encourage a risk-based approach to human rights due diligence, of course, and and provide for prioritisation where necessary. But that prioritisation does not absolve companies from taking steps to address issues further down the list of priorities, as downstream issues may be in, in some industries. I say that because it's, it's certainly clear that downstream risks will be of a higher priority for certain industries. And, and you, know, you raise tech, we can think of the impacts of both harmful user-generated content, and the expansion of artificial intelligence and other new technologies, um, or if we consider finance, for, for example, the vast majority of the risks that arise there are in relation to the monies advanced to, to customers downstream. But risks arise across the value chain for, for virtually all businesses. Um, we've seen examples, for example, of multi-stakeholder certification schemes for metals and minerals that have allegedly abetted adverse human rights impacts. Um, And there's also a really interesting case pending before the courts in England that concerns the sale of an asset, um, in that case a ship to be scrapped, to a buyer with links to adverse human rights impacts. So I think companies in in all sectors need to be understanding the downstream risks that are presented by their products, services, but also by their operations, by their business relationships and by those those connections that arise in the ordinary course of doing business that may have impacts uh, on, on human rights. Thank you, Ben. We've talked now quite a bit about where we're seeing progress when it comes to implementing downstream due diligence. Before we wrap up, I'd like to ask a bit about the challenges. Where is greater focus needed and are there frontiers or limits to how effective downstream due diligence can be? Yeah, there are certainly challenges and and some of them we we return to time and again in in our conversations around uh, downstream human rights due diligence. For one, Tracking the effectiveness of actions in downstream contexts can be more challenging. Uh, I think even, even, even more challenging than the supply chain, particularly where the products and services are sold through distribution partners or are commodities. Um, the, it's simply just a, a, a great challenge. The reduced leverage that companies have mentioned to us in this project 
also has some particularly sharp ends, um, such as in relation to procurement contracts with governments. Often the contractual terms in, in government uh, contracts are non-negotiable. And in some industries, such as defence, for example, the time horizons on contracts may be significant. They can be decades-long commitments, and that poses inherent challenges for, for managing risk. But I think these challenges shouldn't be seen as, a, as an absolute barrier. Um, one of my overarching observations from this project is that there's often no need to reinvent the wheel. Rather, it's about thinking strategically about what can be built upon um, to identify and address risks in, in a lesser considered part of the value chain. Thank you, Ben. I agree with that 100%. And I think it actually reflects what I think we're certainly hearing and, and talking to companies about when it comes to navigating challenges across the board in terms of managing human rights risks and issues. There are, are so many aspects of this work where a perfect solution or, or outcome won't be possible. And it's a matter of finding a, a principled and, and pragmatic way of achieving positive, meaningful outcomes, even if you can't uh, solve a problem completely. Ben, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, as always, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and I'm glad we found an opportunity to dig into this topic, which is front of mind for so many right now. Before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts that you wanted to share with our listeners? Yes, no, thanks, Katie. It's been, it's been really uh, great to, to, to discuss this topic with you and I've had a fascinating time uh, engaging with our members on it. I think the key message is um, that it's really imperative just to, to get started. And as I say, there's, there's no need to reinvent the wheel by and large. It's simply about applying a, a human rights lens downstream and considering where those risks may lie because they may be uh, highly salient and, and, and just have not been considered as yet. Thank you, Ben. For our listeners, we've mentioned a few times the report that Ben recently released on downstream human rights due diligence. If you'd like to access a copy of that, you can do so via GBI's website, gbihr.org. You can also follow GBI and indeed Ben Hogan himself uh, on LinkedIn for further updates on this and other topics relating to business respect for human rights. Ben, thank you again. It's, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast and have a lovely rest of your day. Thanks, Katie. It's been a pleasure. You too. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review it on Apple Podcast and share it with colleagues or peers you think would also get value from it. For more information about GBI, head to our website at gbihr.org. And for more practical insights into how companies are approaching human rights risks and issues, check out the Business Practice Portal, a unique online resource created by business for business which can be accessed from our website.